Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I'm your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, both near and far. And once again, may I welcome you all to this, our show of shows. My name is W.J. Sheehan, author of the series Bigfoot, Terror in the Woods, Sightings and Encounters. And I am so glad that you have joined us today. In part one of our show today, my co-host and brother Kevin is going to rock your world with a detailed Missouri Bigfoot sighting, followed by what is a nightmarish investigation into the Momo monster, who may just be wandering around a neighborhood near you. And in part two, I will be reading a Bigfoot encounter from the 1800s that will cause your brain to swell and your heart to skip a beat. And we will once again be doing our due diligence to answer our listeners' mail sent into us by such people as yourself. If you are liking what you hear, and from reading the mail you are, there is so much more of what you are hearing in my books that it's insane. So please support what we are doing by going to our webpage and following the link to Amazon where these books are available in paperback and ebook formats. They also make a very cool gift. I deliberately wrote these books in a fashion that they would be super easy to read for all of you out there who say you're not big readers. I'm sure you could take a book into the throne with you and be done by the time you're finishing the paperwork if you catch my drift. So give up your bonbons for a day and splurge for one of these books. And now, let's get down and dirty with my brother Kevin's report, Cryptids in the News and in History. Kevin, how you doing? All right. I'm doing great. How about you, Bill? Pretty good. Pretty good. All is good. The weather is beautiful. We've had a lot of day. It's 82 degrees right now. Wow. So uh, we're real happy after having had that rainy spring and... Uh, I, I know speaking to you, you got more rain uh, than was recorded in your state, right, this spring? Yeah, well, especially last year. Um, it's coming again here in a couple of days, they're saying. But the weather's been pretty good this spring. Well, that's good. Yeah, no, I'm happy. You know, everybody likes to get warmed up, and uh, it just kind of re-energizes you. So, it's a beautiful time of the year. So, so one, one of my favorites. I don't know if I want to give up my bonbons, though. Well, you better. <laughs> Remember, I threatened to unleash Fang out of his shed last week, and this week I'm willing to go as far as unleashing the Kraken. <laughs> Nobody wants to go toe-to-toe with the Kraken, I guarantee you that. That's understandable. <laughs> <laughs> so, speaking of things outrageous and wonderful... What do you have for us today in our Cryptids in the News and History segment? Yeah, we're going to be going out to Missouri today. So uh, according to KSMU, which is Ozarks Public Radio, in a broadcast published on May 9th, 2019, so not too long ago, Missouri is a bit of a hotbed for Bigfoot sightings. Wow. They report yeah, they report quoted results from Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization and the researcher Carter Bouchart uh, that there's been 147 reports of Bigfoot sightings in the state of Missouri. Now, is that total or this year? No, total, oh, total. It hasn't been that good of a year. <laughs> I was going to say, these guys, are, you don't have to call an Uber, you can call a Bigfoot. <laughs> we might have to go down there for a field trip if that was the case. No, you go. I'll, I'll, I'll watch from afar. <laughs> Yeah, so the uh, the KSMU report went on to relay an account that went back to uh, May 2012 of a Missouri State University student that gave uh, a report of a sighting that he and his friends shared out in the country in an area close to Smithville Lake in Clay County, Missouri. Wow. 
And I looked up Smithville Lake. It looks like it's just north of Kansas City. Okay. Um, and apparently on this evening, uh, the Mizzou student, uh, Cody, his name was, and his friends stopped in their Jeep at the edge of a wild game access area. They immediately began to feel uneasy, and it seemed eerily quiet, according to the report. And the account follows like this. Cody said, about 20 yards off in front of the Jeep, there's something in the tall grass looking at us. The grass is about three or four feet high, and it's like it's a big thing with eyes like taillights just looking at us. In a panic, the driver of the Jeep drove through a small cable fence. The beast then stood up, and it was at least two feet taller than the Jeep that we were sitting in, Cody said. And we got within 15 to 20 feet of it. It's just like what people say, Cody said. It looks like a person, but not like a person. Kind of like a monkey, but not like a monkey or an ape, rather. And then we just drove out of there. You know, so it's, it's a short account, but pretty interesting that, you know, it's Cody and some of his friends, not that long ago, I guess about seven years ago, uh, university student and uh, given the account to public radio in uh, Missouri. And, you know, what's interesting to me is in this account, we again see those glowing red eyes. You know, he actually says that they look like taillights yeah. uh, uh, staring back at him. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, there's a couple of things uh, really interesting in there uh, that bear talking about, because as you know, I've always said that uh, if you dislike repetition, then talking about Bigfoot is quite naturally not for you, because there's so much repetition in these sightings that it boggles the mind. You you have these two fellas. Did it give their ages? Do we know how old they were? Well, they said they were university students, so figure, you know, 19, 20 years old. Yeah, okay, so these two young whippersnappers uh, suddenly feel uneasy. And if I've uh, heard this once, I've heard it a hundred times, this feeling of uh, w- however you would describe uneasy, but I describe it as this sense of foreboding. And some people even say that they feel like they may lose their life. It's that kind of eerie, creepy, uncomfortable feeling. And then, again, these guys say they noticed that everything became still. And exactly. I've, I've, I've heard this in a number of accounts, uh, particularly with hunters, where while they were on the hunt, it suddenly became apparent to them that this woods, which generally has some type of activity, has none And it becomes apparent to them in a moment in time where they're like, what is going on here? There is nothing going on. Very Exactly. I mean, you can imagine you're out in the middle of the forest um, and there's not a sound. Yeah. I mean, you know, it just doesn't doesn't really happen too often. You're you're going to hear something. So you have this uneasy feeling, like you said, and then you also notice that you don't hear anything around you. Right, right. And you know, this this uh, description of the uh, the eyes appearing like taillights, to me, there are so many accounts where people see these red glowing eyes, and they're not in a lighted area. So these eyes are able to illuminate themselves, almost like they're glowing, which... I don't even know. Is that even available in any other creature in nature? Do, are there any fish that have glowing eyes? Or I, I can't even think of anything else that. No, I, I can't think of anything either. So uh, it's a it's a good question. And you know, in some of the accounts, not this one in particular, they they point out too that they appeared to be glowing, but they you know didn't have the lights of their vehicle on because of course a lot of different animals out there in the forest have eyes that glow when you shine your uh, headlights on them, for example. And then some of the species actually glow in different colors, you know, um, uh, which is also pretty interesting, but only if there's a light shining on them. Yeah, and I I had a cop uh, in one of the accounts. uh, I won't get into the whole account, but 
when he turned and saw this thing, before he hit it with his flashlight, the eyes were already glowing red in the pitch darkness that he could see. So these are luminescent. They are not uh, reflectant. Uh, it's not like, you know, you need a headlight to see the deer's eyes or the uh, the raccoon or the fox or whatever. Uh, exactly. That, well, I don't even think if raccoon's eyes glow. I'm not sure. But uh, you get the point. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Um, so pretty, uh, pretty interesting account. Um, and, you know, getting back to a question, Bill, that you asked me a few weeks ago, you said, if I was skiing in Utah and I saw a Bigfoot, how would I spread the news? You know, would I tell everyone, no one, trusted family and friends? Well, it turns out that although uh, this Mizzou student, Cody, shared his account, he was, un- he was uncomfortable sharing his family name. Well, so I think it's, it's an interesting data point related to another topic we were talking about previously. Yeah, well, that, again, it, it goes back to the people who say, well, where are the witnesses? Why aren't more people coming forth? Blah, 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 blah. Uh, frankly, people have no obligation to share with you anything. And when it comes to a Bigfoot account, it can besmirch your name. You know, uh, nobody wants to get uh, uh, overwhelmed with people saying that, you know, I think uh, Kevin's lost his rocker. Uh, he's, talk- he's talking about seeing a Bigfoot running around in the woods. You know, it, it, it has that uh, uh, it can attach a bad connotation to you uh, as an individual. And really, you're not looking for that to happen. You're just trying to share what happened to you, you know. Yep, yep, exactly. And then, though, you know, so uh, you know I'm a bit of a techie, Bill. So through the miracles of online search algorithms and through, uh, you know, things like the Freedom of Information Act, I'm able to reveal who Cody actually was. Wow. Uh, well, okay, maybe I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that to the point. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry, Cody, if you had to put your adult diaper on there for a minute. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, Cody, we wouldn't do that to you or anybody else. <laughs> no. Now, when you're ready to come forward, uh, then that's the time. Yeah. So, you know, we went all the way to Missouri for this account. And uh, because we went all the way to Missouri, I'd be remiss uh, in an episode of Cryptids in the News to not go a little bit deeper to talk or at least touch on uh, what's known as the Missouri Monster. Ah, the Momo. Uh, A.K.A. Momo. Yeah, which Momo. Which is short for the Missouri Monster. <laughs> now, if we change... Momo sounds a little bit like Fang Fang, <laughs> by the way. If we change a couple of vowels in there and make it Mama, maybe your mother's a monster. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this, this first report comes from uh, uh, MysteriousUniverse.org. And, um, you know, generally the reports of Momo describe a large seven-foot-tall biped covered in black hair and, and uh, emits a horrible odor. Yeah. So, you know, this is interesting. You know, we hear about the red eyes, the glowing red eyes sometimes, and at least half the times in the accounts you hear of these, uh, this horrible, foul odor that the beast has. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, listen to this. Uh I have uh, an account. Uh, the guy was fishing on a lake shore. He was actually fishing in a lake in Canada in a tin boat. He beached a boat to cast along some riprap and rubble that was in the edge of the lake. This monster, which he didn't know was a monster, he first saw this thing coming in and out of some breaks in the trees along the far shore of the lake. And he realized it was walking the shore in his direction. Finally, he realized this thing was like less than 100 yards away from him, and it was coming right towards this boulder pile he was standing next to. Having nowhere to go, he ditched into the side of the boulder pile, looking through an opening in the rocks, and watched this thing come towards him. Now, oh. now he's laying in the rocks, literally having nowhere to go but to hide, as this thing stepped over the rock pile, passed him on the left, and walked away with its back to him. But the, the reason I mention this is, when the creature was walking away, 
he smelled the horrible stench, and he realized why. This thing had all kinds of feces crusted and clinging to its fur by its rump. Ah. So perhaps unlike your dog who can, you know, squat and come up relatively clean, uh, these things may have a problem with that at times, and, and that could be a source of the stench. What? All right. Well, so so what you're saying is Momo's not quite as clean as Fang Fang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. But speaking of, yeah, speaking of Fang Fang, you know, in these accounts, they also talk about the fact that um, uh, on several of the accounts, there were dogs present, you know, with the uh, with the folks that saw Momo. And the dogs were absolutely terrified, including when uh, some of law enforcement went out to respond to one of these sightings and they had, uh, you know, the police dogs with them. Right. The dogs took off and ran the other way when they felt they were getting close to Momo. Wow, that's crazy. So there's so pretty interesting. Yeah, there's a fear um, factor there. They're sensing something they don't want to mess around with. Yep, exactly. And the first report of Momo, um, you know, and and the searches for the monster occurred during the early 1970s, and they they all occurred in a small river town of Louisiana, of Louisiana in Missouri. So it's a little confusing. The town is called. Louisiana, but we're talking about in the state of Missouri, on the Mississippi River, and it looks like it's just north of St. Louis, where most of the sightings occurred. Wow. And one of the first reports of Momo in this period came from a pair of young ladies that were having a picnic lunch and first noticed a putrid smell and then saw the monster off in front of them staring at them. Wow. Yeah, pretty interesting. Did so they, they described. Oh, did did they say the putrid smell occurred when they opened the picnic basket? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe we shouldn't have this sandwich. Some good home cooking, maybe. <laughs> uh, but they described the monster as having hair all of all over its body, like an ape. But they say the face was definitely human, although covered with hair. So a bit like uh, some super hairy human, you know, maybe a uh, Rogaine uh, experiment gone wild. In <laughs> and then, uh, you know, uh. th- th- again, on various sources, um, multiple sightings are reported all around, you know, this two or three year period. Uh, in the same area of Missouri. And they also talk about accounts of uh, law enforcement forming posses to hunt down the creature. And although they felt like they got close to the creature at times, they never actually uh, were able to uh, catch up with it or have a sighting. Wow. See, now, if if the canine unit uh, wasn't uh, standoffish, the dogs would be the way to really get it. Absolutely. Uh, because they could follow that thing come hella high water, and you probably run out of breath and energy by the time you tried to catch it up with a Bigfoot, because those things can move. Yeah, no doubt about it. So, yeah, and that's they do specifically mention that when they felt they were getting close a couple of times, like they could, they could smell, uh, you know, the putrid smell, the horrible odor, and then the dogs would, uh, would get nervous and, uh, and actually head in the opposite direction. Wow, that's So incredible. they probably got close, but didn't get close enough to have any kind of a sighting. Wow. Yeah, so, you know, here we go again with Bigfoot, you know, the elusive creature. Uh, Absolutely, it's it's not uh, it's not easy to tag and bag a Bigfoot. That's for sure. You know, uh, not that you would want to. You know, some people say. Uh, uh, I was on a uh, a little thing on Facebook the other day, uh, uh, signing up to join this little group, and uh, one of the questions they asked, uh, "Are you pro or non kill for Bigfoot?" And you know, my thing is this: Who would want to shoot one of these things? First of all. But the only time I would pull a trigger on anything is if I felt that was in a life-threatening situation. And that would be Bigfoot, you, or anything else. <laughs> you know, if I felt threatened, if it was uh, eminent danger, well, then the party's over and the bullets fly. <laughs> so. Seems reasonable. Seems reasonable. Wow. So are you, are you uh, 
Is that what you have for us today in the mobile? Yeah, so that's it for cryptids in the news this week. Uh, Missouri, Bigfoot sighting recently, report of it recently from 2012, and uh, a little bit of a dive into the elusive Momo. Yeah, we'll see what else we can come up with on uh, the Momo uh, down the road a piece. Well, I've got a really uh, interesting account here. Uh, actually came from a diary, and uh, this is from the 1800s. So let me dive right into this. I know you're going to find this uh, really interesting and quite chilling, to be honest with you. This letter was brought to my attention by an elderly woman named Clara Potts. She said that it had been in her family for many years and that it had been penned by her great-great-grandfather, William O'Leary, who had died as a man of great means. William was one of the few who actually struck it rich during the California gold rush. I have taken very few liberties in the transcription of this letter, so here it goes. Being a man of good conscience and in fear of the Lord God Almighty, I have taken the liberty to set at right in pen and paper the events and happenings which led to the demise of the wild man by my own hands in California on that July day. I had been in Sacramento for the second time, taking care of some business and refreshing myself and my animals. After several weeks, I decided that a man could die here more easily than he could alone in the woods, especially a man who was hunting for gold. So I packed my horse and my mule and headed out once more. I had enough provisions for 16 weeks or so without taking into account what I would kill and eat. My carbine and sidearm were with me, as well as a large blade that I had won in a game of stud. After washing many a dead pan on my previous trip, I had come upon some color in the North Country. It was the most color in my pan that I had ever seen. At the time of the discovery, however, I had been running low on provisions, so I came back to Sacramento to resupply before heading back up into the north in the hopes of locating the origins of what I had panned and staking a claim to it. It was a steady 11-day ride to where I had found the color and I had no idea how much further it would take to find the load, if indeed one was to be found at all. The Lord was good to me, and the weather was grand, having two good animals that were strong and able to take the journey at hand. It was on the eleventh day that I reached the tributary that had offered up gold on my last venture, and I started panning to confirm my whereabouts. My first six pans yielded enough gold to pay a man three full months' wages, and having confirmed my find, I spent the night in some contentment. The following morning, I packed up my bedroll and headed north for a day's ride. It was there that I came upon a choke point in the water's flow where I stopped to make camp. Since three days outside of Sacramento, I hadn't run across another living soul. In the following 19 days, I panned enough gold to live out the rest of my days in luxury. I even handpicked some nuggets that were as big as my horse's teeth. One evening, I sat on a hillside in the hope of shooting some food, which I did. I came back to camp and made a little smoker out of boughs and branches and commenced to lay out the slabs for smoking by draping them over the wood. Since I stoked the fire through the night, my meat was prepared by morning. I had hardtack, 
flour, and some grits tucked into my saddlebags, and now I had an ample supply of smoked meat as well. I was not going to get greedy, knowing that it's not enough to find gold in this country, but one must also return alive to make good use of it. This land is littered with the bones of dead men who were murdered by the cold-blooded hands of those who relieved them of their fines. The next night, I slept well with my carbine always loaded and at the ready next to me. During the night, I was awakened by my horse's snort and a whinny as I leapt to my feet with my gun. As I tried to get my bearings looking towards the animals over the fire's glow, I thought I saw something run away into the woods. However, since I was half asleep and it was very dark, I was uncertain of the shadow, so I calmed the animals and sat by the fire for the rest of the night. I was uneasy. It wasn't until I was caring for the animals at sunup that while reaching into my saddlebag, I realized that something had taken most of my smoked meat during the night. I must not have imagined something fleeing the scene that night, and now I knew that I wasn't alone here. In these parts, a single rifle shot could be the death of me in an instant, so I determined to pack up and start heading back to stake my claim. Having secured my gear and mounted up, I headed out. I was working my way back down through a small grouping of trees when I heard something running to my right side. So I withdrew my carbine from its scabbard and held it at the ready. Perhaps a mere ten minutes after I had withdrawn my rifle, a hideous scream came bellowing out from within the trees and my horse bucked, sending me and my rifle ass over tea kettle into the ground. During my fall, a second scream sounded, and from my rather precarious position lying on the ground, I suddenly saw a wild man of a beast charging at me from some 100 feet away. My rifle had fallen right next to me and I grabbed it. This beast was running at a rate that is not humanly possible, and it may it had maybe 30 feet before it would prevail upon me, so I squeezed the trigger. It stopped in its tracks with a monstrous shriek as I chambered another round and shot it again. Still, it did not fall. It stood groaning and staggering before I finished it off with the third salvo, as the beast finally fell to the ground lifeless. I laid hold of a long branch and stepping close to the creature, I poked it. Its chest was not moving and its smell was horrific, like that of decaying meat. I took a few moments to compose myself and retrieve the animals that had bolted. Thankfully, the mule was tethered to the horse, so they had not gone far away. When I returned, I stood there pondering the beast and the events that had unfolded. I was thankful that it had not killed me while I slept. With its enormous proportions, I could have eas- it could have easily dispatched me. I then realized that I must have drawn it into the camp with the smoking of the meat, for it was the very same smell that must have directed it right to the saddlebags which had contained it. Perhaps that it thought that it would stop me from leaving and have its fill of the rest. I could not believe what my eyes beheld. The hairy man's height was some seven feet or so, and its mouth was open wide as blood had trickled down its jaw. The exposed teeth were like those that could be found in the mouth of my mule, yellowed and cracked with age. It must have been the weight of a large grizzly, with its palms being blackened and grayish in color, cracked and worn like an old pair of shaps. Its fingers were the length of a large cigar, and hair covered its entire body, though it lacked any real density. (coughs) It seemed more like the hair that covers a man's head. The beast's feet were at least two or three times the size of my own, 
and its hands made mine look like those of a raccoon in comparison. I said a prayer for the beast and began to dig a shallow grave. I had to lash a rope to both the beast and my mule to drag it into the hole, and then I covered it over. I felt a certain guilt after having killed the creature. If it was a man, I would have confessed to it, and rightly so, but it was not a man. However, it was not really an animal either, so it was with a heavy heart that I felt the need to pen this testimony as my personal confession to both God and man. Wow. Pretty That's in- some account. Yeah, I mean, you can, in- uh, you, you know, you get really get a picture of, uh, you know, not only his encounter, but, uh, you know, that life of these uh, frontiersmen, especially out there going after gold, you know, where they're under threat constantly. Yeah, I mean, let's face it, no law enforcement, no nothing. You're in the woods, mano a mano, I see you packing gold in your bag, and I'm a creep. I pull out my carbine and pull a, put a bullet in the head, and now your gold is my gold, and nobody's none the wiser. Absolutely. Yeah, what a, what a tough life, uh, and to be going at it alone as well. Um, so, you know, that, that part of the country, you know, so it's north of, uh, sounds like north of Sacramento, where the account, you know, maybe it's... Uh, up and around uh, where the Patterson-Gimlin film was uh, was formed. You know, it seems like it's that part of the country again. Yeah, and, uh, you know, obviously we're talking 1800s. Uh, I have no idea who, if anybody, was really up there then. I guarantee you, he was probably the only human in 100 miles of himself. Yeah, I mean, uh, just the uh, mostly the gold hunters out there at that point in time. You know the uh, the 49ers, uh, if you will. Yeah. Um, you know, and and uh, it's interesting too. Of course, the uh, the smoked meat. You know, big fire going, smoking the meat would attract uh, you know different kinds of wildlife. I mean, here it's almost lunchtime, and I was thinking about the grits and smoked meat and saying, boy, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't like anything that's named grit. Oh, man. You know what I mean? You're just not converted enough. (laughs) Grits are fantastic. Are they? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've never had Shrimp and grits, awesome. I'm going to have to dig into some grits then. Yeah, absolutely. And none of those uh, instant grits, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, also in the account, here's another one where you, uh, you know, you hear about the putrid smell. Yeah. Right. I think he described it as. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. He describes it uh, as having hands, fingers the size of a large cigar. And that from the sound of it, this must have been an old bugger that he saw because he's describing the hands as looking cracked and uh, as though they appeared like a dried up leather pair of chaps. Uh, and the fact that when it was laying there with its mouth open, the teeth were all yellowed and cracked. I mean, this had to be have some severe age to it. Yeah, it does give you that feel just listening to it. And then, of course, you know, the feet that he says are twice as large as his own. So certainly sounds like other uh, Bigfoot descriptions. Yeah, just incredible. Also... Uh, he says that it had to be the weight of a large grizzly, and he had to lash it with a rope and let his mule drag it into the shallow grave. Yeah, so gigantic. Yeah, this was not—if it was a man, you know, you could grab him by the hands or the legs and slide him over. But he was like, you know, no way, Jose, I can't drag a 1,000 pounds. Yeah, too bad this one happened so long ago, back in the 1800s. This might have been that body— that all of the Bigfoot hunters are uh, looking for. Yeah, well, you know, you know my opinion on that. I always think that these these creatures bury their dead, mm-hmm. and uh, if they bury their dead out in the middle of the woods or the forest, you're not going to find them. It's just it's just not going to happen. I mean, somewhere along the way, if uh, somebody went in with a backhoe making a shopping center out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, you might uncover something at some point in time, but I, I really don't think that's a viable option. And, yeah, you know, it's, no, ju- absolutely. it's just an opinion. I have zero to base that on. It's just a thought running through my head. 
well, you know, you you've done a done a lot of work around the around the uh, uh, accounts of the beast. So it's uh, you know what your hunch, your opinion, your educated guess. Uh, is worth taking note of. Yeah, and you know, a lot of people out there claim to be experts. It's 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 ludicrous. You know, <laughs> one guy uh, one guy sent me an email. He said something to the effect that I was an expert. Uh, I am an expert at nothing, Bigfoot. <laughs> let, <laughs> let me announce that here and now. And anybody who says they're an expert on Bigfoot, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't even know what to say about that. Where is the expertise, you know? How is right. it, how is it gained? Right. I mean, you know, and just one more, just tying back to uh, the uh, encounters in Missouri. Again, in this case, you know, what uh, I believe what woke him up in the account was that the mule and the horse were alerted to uh, you know some creature being present in the camp, and that kind of woke him up. So you know, the animals all have this keen sense of uh, not only another animal, but uh, another animal that they're not familiar with or another animal that might be, you know, a type of apex predator. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think if they sensed this thing was a uh, uh, on the attack, like a cougar or something, or a grizzly, right. I think they would have been jumping and, uh, you know, thrashing around. It would have been quite a bit more than him hearing a snort and a whinny and seeing something move into the woods. Right. So that's per- true. Perhaps, perhaps this Bigfoot uh, thought it, uh, the horses thought the Bigfoot was another man coming over to the saddlebag. So maybe yeah, it could be. Maybe could it wasn't be. their master, so to speak, but they perceived it as another human coming to get something out of the bag and just made a little uh, some sounds of discomfort. You know, really, cool. uh, really interesting. So what do you got Very for cool. us today, bro? Oh yeah, so let's uh, let's go to listener mail. So we have uh, quite a few uh, uh, emails this week, and again, they're from all around the world. So the first one is from Jeremy in South Korea. He says, uh, "I'm listening to your podcast while stationed here in the U.S. Army. Wow! And it makes me think of back home in the states, as well as the woods back in Arkansas." Just how many of these critters do you think are out there? Keep up the good work. And uh, first off, hey, Jeremy, uh, thank you for serving uh, in the armed forces, and uh, especially uh, thanks for serving so far away from home. Yeah, kudos to you, Jeremy. Keep up the good work. So what do you think of that, Kev? How many of these critters do you think there are? That's an open-ended question. Yeah, you know, I don't even want to hazard a guess. I mean, I'm sure you could use statistics, maybe we will sometime, to figure out, you know, based on the number of sightings per year or something like that, and the number of folks out there, you know, you might be able to hazard, uh, uh, you know, some type of statistical guess. I I have no idea, though. How how about yourself? Yeah, I really, uh, I'm with you, Jeremy. Nobody knows. You know, we're talking about a creature that's said not to exist by the majority of the world. And uh, to venture a guess, uh, a guess uh, as to how many there are, there's no uh, palpable way to determine that. And in fact, uh, many of the sightings, if you think that they could be the same creature in the same area, uh, even that makes it uh, further muddies the waters, so to speak. So, Jeremy, unfortunately, we appreciate you chiming in with us, and we're glad to have you listening over there, you and the other GIs in Korea. Uh, but as far as how many there are, it's anybody's guess. Yeah, it's a good point, Bill, because, you know, you, you don't know when people are seeing one like the Momo encounters in the early 70s. Maybe that was the same beast. Maybe it was five of them. Um, and then also we do know, you know, that the creatures are pretty stealthy and, uh, you know, appear to have some pretty good camouflage as well. So, um, you know, it's it's hard to hazard a guess. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, let's let's go on to question number two. Yeah, so then we go from South Korea into Arizona from Teresa in Tucson. Uh Uh-huh. She says, I love your new show. Having heard you on many other podcasts and in the past, I was so happy to hear you doing your own thing, especially having your brother along with you. Wow. 
What if she says, what if anything, putting Bigfoot aside for the moment, do you know about Dogman? Your format is fantastic, and I'm telling all my friends to listen. Well, thanks a lot, uh, Teresa. And let's not confuse Dogman with Fang Fang. <laughs> <laughs> listen, I work with some people who could be confused for a Dogman. <laughs> and, and unfortunately, some dog women. But let's not go down that road. <laughs> well, you know, uh, and Kev, you know, let me run this by you as we're answering Teresa's question. I'll throw it out there for the audience as well. I was thinking of changing the name of our first segment to Cryptids in the News and History and Other Oddities. Mm. And... I think the audience, I know, speaking for myself, that I have an interest in a lot of uh, strange and unusual things that we could talk about. Uh, and, of course, Dogman is inclusive in some of the volumes uh, that I have written. There's a number of accounts uh, where people have seen the Dogman. Uh, but as far as what like our opinion is of this thing it is so bizarre and so off the charts weird uh, the thought of having or seeing something that has the long slender body of some type of superhero they all describe this dog man as being very lanky and very muscular uh, I've got descriptions in like the seven foot range seems to be coming up. Uh, I've had people say uh, long talon-like nails coming from what appear to be fingers hmm. and a nasty puss on this thing, uh, like a coyote with too many teeth in its mouth. <laughs> so this thing is not like the old wolf man in, uh, in the... Uh, 30s and 40s uh, monster movies. This thing has the head of like a, a vicious looking timber wolf uh, and some type of muscular, tawny looking body. Uh, I don't know, man. Uh, once again, uh, you don't want to be cornered by a dog man or a Bigfoot. Man, this dog man, that sounds like something would scare the bejesus out of you if you ran into that. <laughs> Holy cow. Nah, you know, Kemp, there's guys out there that would just stand their ground and go toe-to-toe. Yeah, not not shake while they're videotaping it with their phone <laughs> right, either. Right, right. Get a good steady picture of that dog man for the, for the masses, will you? <laughs> I might have to look for one of those dog man Halloween costumes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, uh, the good stuff on dog man. We're going to have to do an episode on dog man, yeah. I think. Yeah. Uh, uh, certainly sounds creepy as all get out. Yep. So we're going to go from the southwest in Tucson to Butch in the Adirondacks. And uh, Butch says, uh, I love the show, but some of the stuff seems seems to be a little far-fetched as far as what these monsters are doing. Nevertheless, it's very entertaining. I haven't seen anything of the sort, and I live in the sticks up here in the hills. If one comes... To my residence, for sure, you'll have yourself a body. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know quite where he was going there. And I thought, oh, well, okay. well, now we know. <laughs> this, this guy's probably got a loaded uh, sword off by his back door. <laughs> <laughs> Warning, Bug, Bigfoot. Butch is waiting, waiting for you with yeah. a Mac 10. Yeah, avoid Butchie's house. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. Here we go. You know, it's like you were saying, Kev, with all the hiking you've done uh, and uh, seeing scat and uh, this and that, that you hadn't even seen a bear. And uh, here this guy is living in the sticks like a lot of people do. And uh, he's saying, you know, like I had a fella tell me if anybody, he felt that if anybody was going to see one of these things, it would be him. And he hadn't. But then that day came. When he met uh, Bigfoot face-to-face, uh, -face, so to speak, 
and all the guessing was over. So Butch, wow. Butch is certainly in a uh, an area up there. The Adirondacks, uh, Pennsylvania, Maine, uh, areas of New Jersey. Uh, you know, there are plenty of sightings happening in these areas. And uh, will Butch see one? Uh, who knows? But keep looking. Now, as far as these things being far-fetched, I would say this to Butch and everybody else. He says the things they do are far-fetched. Well, I want to ask you, Butch, what is more far-fetched or what is more fantastic? Seeing a nine-foot-tall hairy monster walking down the shoulder of the interstate or seeing a nine-foot hairy monster walk across the field behind your house. To me, both events are equally absurd and fantastic if they happen to you. So as far as a a Bigfoot robbing somebody's hen house, uh, stealing a pig, uh, I've had people that saw uh, Bigfoot robbing nests up in trees. Uh, These are opportunistic hunters, and they're surviving very much like a human would survive in the wilderness, uh, taking advantage of everything and anything uh, that's in their uh, surrounds uh, to get protein, uh, to get some greens, to drink some water. Uh, They eat whatever they eat, whenever they want to eat. And I would advise you not to try to interfere with them when they're eating. It'd probably be like <laughs> trying to take my cheeseburger from me when I'm eating, Butch. It's not going to end well. <laughs> <laughs> be careful with that. All right. All right. Good stuff. So we're, we're going to go. We got two more here, two more good ones. So uh, one uh, here back to the Philippines. I think we had another uh, uh, email from the Philippines a week or two ago. This one is from Lao Un. I hope I pronounced that correctly, in the Philippines. This is a fantastic podcast. Have you or your brother ever seen Bigfoot? Wow. What do you say, So none for, none for me, uh, Lao. I haven't seen him. And, uh, you know, part of me wants to run into him, like we often say, but then the saner part of me says, uh, not so sure I want that to happen. Yeah. And you know my opinion, Kev. I don't want to be any anywhere near this thing. <laughs> you know, if I see this thing from afar uh, through a set of field glasses, uh, I'm okay with that. But I'm not walking around in the woods unarmed uh, with a headlamp on uh, trying to get one of these things to come shake my hand. That is not happening. <laughs> yeah, and now I haven't seen a Bigfoot either, uh, which... Uh, some sarcastic characters have uh, tried to discredit me with talking to me, but it's it's just utter nonsense. You know, have you yeah. seen one? You know, are you out hunting for them? Uh, there's enough people that are willing, uh, and I can go by what they say or what they do as well as, because let's face it, if I said to you, I have seen one, and thus, thus, and so happened during the sighting, my own personal sighting would be uh, met with the same uh, uh, attitude uh, by the public as those that I have in my books and those that Kevin's bringing up in our Cryptids in the News segment. It's a he said, she said. Uh, You probably wouldn't believe me, just like the majority of the people don't believe all of these other people. You'd just be another member of the band. Exactly. Exactly. Excuse me. All right. Our last uh, email uh, comes from uh, the center of the country, uh, from Beverly in Michigan. Uh, She says, your show's refreshing, and I could listen to the two of you for hours. Well, that's very kind, Beverly. Uh, And uh, she says, have you considered expanding the subjects about which you talk? Maybe UFOs, paranormal, etc.? I think you would you would do well with whatever topic you decide to tackle. Finally, some people with brains and some real insight. God bless. Wow. Well, we should send cool. her a T-shirt. Yeah. You, well, she's not getting my T-shirt, I'll tell you that. Maybe yours. <laughs> Sorry, Beverly. Do you wear 2XL? 
<laughs> so good stuff. I mean, certainly uh, last week's podcast, we did venture into uh, the paranormal a bit with the uh, shapeshifter encounter, you know. Yeah, uh, and you know, it's interesting. Certainly strange. It's interesting. Uh, and uh, this is kind of what I was leaning on with uh, the other oddities aspect of our reporting. Uh, there's some real interesting stuff out there that deserves a little uh, airtime uh, that I'm sure there's people such as myself that are interested in. So uh, we'll keep an open door, Beverly, to uh, other high strangeness uh, as if Bigfoot and Dogman and uh, Godzilla and Mothra were not enough. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, Beverly and everybody else out there, like my brother uh, says, you know, if you see something, say something. And even if it has to do with UFOs and paranormal, let's take a look at it. We're, we're, happy, to, we're happy to take a look at it. Yeah, that's, uh, it's all grist for the mill, as I keep saying. I love that stuff. Good good stuff, Bill. Well, I think uh, that's the end of the podcast for this week. You know, I would just, uh, again, ask our listeners, um, if you like what you're hearing, uh, please leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Um, and we certainly appreciate you taking the time to listen to us. And as you can tell, we're having a little bit of fun along the way, and hopefully you are too. Awesome. And remember, folks, until we meet again, Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.